Steven, number three. Oh, man. I, I'm sort of doing this on the fly, but... Yeah, I you can like just say, like, shut up, this game is stupid. You guys do no, that. No, I, lo- I love this. Brunch, hit it, boys! Oh, man, the hits keep coming. I'll tell you, folks, this is our third... This is, is this the third time? We, we lost an episode. Yeah, we did. We're not going to lie to you. We lost an episode. And you know what? It sucks because we pushed this. We had This episode kept getting delayed for so many reasons. And there was a great relief that we had in finally being able to do this episode. You and I just jammed. And this always, every time we lose an episode, we're like, you wouldn't believe how good it was. <laughs> yeah. We were clean. No vocalized pauses. Agreed on all points. But it wasn't boring. We did a lot of we we got some places. Yeah, I think that whenever we lose an episode, it's never an episode where it's like, okay, we have this plotted out. It's more just like let's let's press the button and uh, and let's just see where it goes. Right, and it's like, just we know what keys the, the, the songs can't in. Can't replicate. Let's, let's let's play something. Yeah, and see what we 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 had our key. We were like, all right, this song this this one's going to be in the key of. Joe Biden inauguration and new radicals. You get what you give. And we went everywhere. Yep. We, we tipped our hand a little bit. We said, Hey, when, when our ship comes in, we're going to do X. And then we said, and let, let us tell you our ship's coming in. So read into that, whatever you want. You didn't get to hear how we said it or what exactly we were talking what about. What exactly we were talking about. I think that, I'll be honest, even if you did, you probably wouldn't have understood it, but we made a reference to our ship coming in. We talked about how I will never consider this, I will never declare this a music podcast because I am too strongly aligned with with you to say, oh, I got a music podcast. No. Can't if, have a music podcast when half of the podcast is a, not music guys. Right. And this came off of you saying... It was great that we had Stephen Horowitz on today's episode, which that part we did not lose. Longtime music journalist and online friend Stephen Horowitz is on today's podcast. I will say, thank thank God. Like, uh, there is literally nothing worse than wasting a guest's time and being like, uh, sorry, we didn't get that. There was a Red Sox prospect who I had done some uh, stories with, so I had forged a a good relationship with, with him. And when he signed... With the Red Sox, he donated a bunch of his signing bonus to, I think, the Jimmy Fund in honor of his grandmother who had just died of cancer. And he called me when he was doing it and talked for a few minutes. He talked about his grandmother, what she meant to him, and I lost it. I lost the audio. Something happened with the audio. I didn't plug the right thing in, and I had to call him back and say, hey, look, I know what you said, but I'm not just going to do these quotes from memory. I'm a journalist, and I don't want to say, like, hey, he vaguely said something (laughs) along the lines of this, so would you mind repeating? Paraphrasing. He said cancer is bad. Right. Like, would would you mind repeating, like, the anecdotes you shared about your your late grandmother and i was like there's a lot of reasons why people hate the media but like i hate the media right now yeah i hate myself <laughs> yep. for saying hey can 
you repeat that. But we have Stephen on to talk about new radicals because <laughs> it's so funny we're saying all this again. Um, big week for new radicals. Uh, the the short lived Greg Alexander project, which had one album, maybe even brainwashed too, which came out in 1998, and the song "You Get What You Give," which was maybe a little slept on at the time. It had a music video; people cared about that. People remember the song, but I think that it is aged very well, and people understand it better now than they did at the time. It is one of the greatest songs ever. So we have Steven because he, in addition to being a huge New Radicals fan and probably the person who most understands their significance, he's one of the few people who has access to and has gained the trust and the friendship, whatever you want to say, of the great Greg Alexander who disbanded the project, which was, it was a... He, they, they would play as a band and everything, but he was New Radicals. It was all his yeah. thing. He produced the album himself. He wrote all the songs. He was the the mind behind all this. You and I, Pete, in the last, I don't know, hour, got so deep into You Get What You Give by New Radicals that we were asking questions like, and we, we had like, I don't know, a 20 minute discussion about their October 2nd, 1999 performance on all that. I'm laughing because we just said October 2nd, 1999 so many times in this last episode. There, they performed You Get What You Give on an all that episode that aired on October 2nd, 1999. There was debate as to whether or not that was actually the performance date or just the air date. You contended there's a good chance it actually was a live performance because they they they, <laughs> they went seven minutes on a five minute song because they do a seven minute you get which then I explained to you <laughs> what eight what eight minute Cape Cod means and those if you've seen eight minute Cape Cod ever floating around the internet that's a reference that's a time crisis reference because they talk about jam bands a lot and how a long versions of songs will be referred to as hey they did a six minute China Cat. Or if Grateful Dead plays China Cat Sunflower for six minutes, <laughs> <It's a mess. laughs> uh, yeah, we we were discussing whether or not it was it was uh, a live performance, mainly because DJ made a uh, a musical poster for uh, for New Radicals on all that October second, nineteen ninety nine. Yes, which may not be the date because it may not have been live, but I contended that it was live because they went seven minutes long and. Uh, either either all that allows a lot of leash to their yeah. musical performances or New Radicals was like, we're, we're seizing the day here. This is now a fresh point that was not made on the last episode. Does that make the New Radicals live on all that concert poster more rare if and more valuable if it actually wasn't October 2nd, 1999? Like Beanie Babies are like that. Well, I don't think it makes it more rare because I don't think that the New Radicals on all that it, October first, second, whatever the date was. I don't think that poster exists. I mean, yeah, I can promise you it doesn't <laughs> because you I made it. it. <laughs> yeah. uh, 
But I mean, I thought you were going to say that you don't think there's uh, much value in that poster. I was oh, going to say there, I, there's a lot of value. Tell that to you and me because yeah. we're printing it <laughs> right. and putting it in the background of wherever we record when our ship comes in. Right. Uh, we, we are uh, in the process of establishing establishing a new space, a new studio. Yeah. Uh, and we don't know what's going to go in there, but we're going to dress it up. And the only thing that we know for sure that is going in the studio is the <laughs> bootleg n- October second, nineteen ninety nine, New Radicals on all that poster created by DJ Bean. Hell yeah! Should I should I sign it? <laughs> At the bottom? No, we should send it to Stephen Stephen Horowitz, who can then send it to Greg Alexander, who can sign it and be like, by the way, and write it like below his signature. Right? By the way, we didn't record this on October second, nineteen ninety nine. It was. Uh, September 29th, 1999. And we cover that part up with like a <laughs> like a sticker that comes on albums, like featuring uh, <laughs> no. featuring you get what you give. No. Seven minute you get. We uh we put we slap a big old uh parental advisory sticker right over yeah. right over his message. It's a very racy performance. He says on all he that. says butts. We'll kick your butts. He and, does. He cleans up. We'll kick your ass. Yeah. And with we'll kick your butt. He also he does some cool. Uh, in that performance on October 2nd, 1999, on uh, all that, he, uh, that man just uses voice. And I guess this is now us getting into the significance of New Radicals and uh, how great the, that, the material was. Greg Alexander used his voice as an instrument, and that is a cliche. People say all the sure time, is. oh, this person uses their voice as an instrument. But even the beginning, like the first few bars of, um, you get what you give when the um, I think it's uh, maybe there's like a little tambourine or a shaker coming in on like the dun 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 dun. There's the the percussion starts to come in. He starts doing a little like cha cha. Like th- th- he used his voice as an instrument. Every the 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 haze leading up to is that yeah leading up to the verse. He's doing like a hey hey. He you. I, there's no other way to say it. The man used his voice as an instrument. If we ever have Greg Alexander on the podcast, which is a guaranteed impossibility, yeah. because he does not do we, uh, a we, lot of we press. discussed in the last episode. Uh, he is what one might call a, a recluse. I would say, yeah, like like music pop, like pop star recluse, mm-hmm. where he disbanded the 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 project New Radicals. Once it became popular, and I would say like even like like before they right, became before, I mean, popular, scratching the surface, right. one single out. The uh, Stephen tells us it was once the, the day they were on tour, like middle of a tour, and he was like, "Okay, I don't like this. This isn't for me." They uh, released their done. first single, and it was like a perfect, brilliant song. Yeah, and then he was like, "All right, see ya." And I, I'm, did the I'm, old Costanza, right? And I, I'm not hating and or saying why I do that. I think that, um, I think that it's very admirable that someone was like, "Hey, this may be a lot of people's idea of success or what you strive for." Obviously, he's a musician, and his music was well received. That's obviously some that's some level of success, but. It wasn't the success he wanted or that, that made him feel right or whatever. So yeah, he said, I, I'm going to do something else. Right. And I think that, like, as hard as it is to, like, be a a, a star musician, I, it honestly might be harder to, like, 
become a star musician and then immediately be like, this isn't for me. Yeah. And I'm, I don't want to do it. But you know what? Uh, credit to him. We see athletes now retiring young yeah. more and more, just saying like, hey, this, this, is, this isn't what I need to be doing right now. I got to be doing something else or f- for whatever. Who, who, who knows how human beings think? So uh, great admiration and respect for Greg Alexander. And this has been a big week because I can't remember now if I said this on this one or the last recording. Um, he performed the song, You Get What You Give, as part of Joe Biden's um, virtual parade, which the virtual parade was just an absolute it was a mess. Mess. It was a disaster. <laughs> but <laughs> but New Radicals came back up and people started to talk about New Radicals again. And I hadn't thought about New Radicals in years. We, we've never dis- we you said on the lost recording we'd only discussed them once, and it was when we discussed uh, our friend Wayne's defunct podcast sucks butt where they take a song that is either off critiqued um mocked mocked whatever and say like does this song have redeeming qualities and they it was the only time in podcast history they played a song and then retracted its submission because the song did not suck the song was too good for it to be considered like sucks but it sucks yeah. but it has this they were like no this is a great song and it it's one of the it's one of the greatest songs ever i we discussed in the last episode maybe for patreon people if you want i never i can never tell if people like when uh i gush over songs and uh get a little nerdy with why they're so good but I might, for the Patreon people, make a short little video just explaining why I think it's such a good song. It's not like a why I think, like just like factually, like why it well, is. what, it, what <laughs> yeah. it does that that gives it its sound and why it has this feel that it has. It is, I didn't realize this till I really uh, kind of uh, got, got in there yesterday. I was listening to the song a bunch. And I was like thinking about it, thinking about the the chords and the things it does and stuff that I was like, holy smokes, this song is even a hundred times smarter and uh, better crafted than I thought. So maybe we'll do something uh, on that. But we we uh, we discussed like the a bunch of things that we that we love about this song uh, when we talked to Stephen Horowitz and. Uh, one of the things that I said in the in the last episode that I did not say when listing the the reasons for Stephen Horowitz is like a big reason why I love this song is because it is like so inherently '90s to me, and like there's a, a lot of nostalgia that comes with it. But it's not just nostalgia because it's old. It just feels very '90s in like the lyrics. They obviously mentioned Beck, Marilyn Manson, <laughs> uh, Courtney Love, it, like. It hits you in the face with the 90s, but it also is it, it does a really, really great job encapsulating uh, like the the feeling and like the positivity of the 90s. And uh, maybe I have that like view. I have that that rose tinted glasses view of the 90s because I was a kid and I was fucking like stupid and didn't realize that there was 
adult shit going on and that things sucked for a lot of people. But like for me, the nineties is just like a ton of happiness and, uh, the, the new radicals for me in that song, it just sort of like bottles that up and serves it to me. And then that being on all that, watching all of that together is just like nineties overload. And it makes me so happy that led us to, and I, I think it's great. that This is like a recap episode (laughs) that led us to discuss sans joints, but, very much a uh like a sharing a joint type of discussion was new radicals on all that the last great moment in american pop culture history and the discussion that was had was 1999 october 1999 october 2nd 1999 uh, to be specific yeah uh very much ushering in a new age. Y2K is coming up. We've begun using the internet. It's becoming a part of our lives. And I think that the internet, well, I don't know why I'm pronouncing the T so hard. The internet. The, 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 the internet. Interleague uh, play. The, the internet is um, a source of obviously a lot of good things, but it's a source of rotting your brain and poisoning right. your brain it's a sor- slowly. It's, <laughs> Poison a uh, anxiety. I have a lot of internet anxiety. Uh, it just freaks me out. Social media freaks me out. Like thinking that like there's this thing that I check every day and everyone is there freaks me out. Um, now this is really sharing a joint thing. But like there's the life before the internet and life in the internet is just very, very different and Mm -hmm. think of what the internet's brought us it brought us i think uh, without question it brought us our last president yeah who used think of how horribly this the the world we live in was was used and think of how uh how all that we have and like these tools at our disposal have been used for evil so I think, like, for better or for worse, the internet – well, for better and for worse, the internet opens your bubble and it, and it like, opens your eyes to what is happening, it, or, or like, in spaces far beyond what you would normally experience or see. It's a daunting, crazy experience. And before it had become so big and just the, the center of all of our lives, right on the brink of that – You've got this song that is full of hope, that is weightless, being performed in over seven minutes for a studio audience. Perhaps live. Perhaps uh, potentially live for a studio audience of children who are so accepting of it. And so riled up. I mean, they're kids. They probably had a couple of soda pops. They were the kids. Just fucking freak out that entire. <laughs> that is seven minutes of of chaos from the kids. It is a we we got into a discussion about humanity and feel good moments and how honestly, like feel good moments are so rare these days. Real feel good moments, but uh, not manufactured. Candid and, yeah. feel good moments are Leo pointing meme worthy because like when it's a feel good moment, Leo pointing meme, (laughs) that's what that is. That is seven minutes 
of feel good moment. Uh, and who's to say, did they know when they were taping that or performing it live that this is one of the last times this song's going to be played? Who knows? Maybe, maybe even that was the last time that song was played. We'd have to check. Could I don't be. know if there's like a archive of new radicals set lists, but maybe What's live on all that was what's that website that does uh set list FM. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe live on all that was uh, the last waltz. That would be incredible. where they were like, all right, we're getting everybody together. And instead of Dr. John and uh, if that is staple singers, <laughs> it's, it's going to be uh, just, it's just going to be just us and uh, a bunch of children who really fucking feel this song and are the future. We got into the discussion of was the next president of the United States in that audience. We think maybe. It's, it's quite possible. It's 1999. Yeah. Although, who knows? Maybe it was taped. What, what if we found out that was like taped in 1994? <laughs> they really had it in the can for a while. Right. Like, Greg Alexander is on, like working on like a previous. It's like the video. There's a video of Father John Misty, uh, Josh Tillman, when he's in Fleet Foxes, just like playing in a cafe or something. And he's uh, playing, he's, he's got his Fleet Fox's hair, just looks like a different human being, and he's, uh, and he's playing The Ideal Husband, which would be on his second Father John Misty album. But he was just like a song he had, and he's sitting there playing it. Maybe Greg Alexander. <laughs> no, I don't think so, because I don't know if all that would want... Because they were like, we don't know if this song's right. going to be a hit. Yeah, do you, do you no. have a record deal? What is this? And all those kids would not be excited. They'd be like, what, uh, what is going on? All right. Well, we can narrow down then. <laughs> this was performed so it was somewhere like tw- between... 22 years ago. 22 years ago. Uh, with like, we did the math, like 8 to 11-year-olds mostly. So there's like the early 30s. They're early 30s. So They're not eligible to run for president yet. Got to be 35. So maybe the next... One, and we're going to send out a Darren Rovell call to, if anybody knows people who were at this taping, because that's like, they they grew up in there, they're people now, they're functioning members of society. They're like around our age. Yeah. I would love to talk to somebody who was in the audience for that performance and say like, hey, what did that performance mean to you? Do you think back on that performance and say, hey, because I think people would say, hey, one time I went to a taping of all that. Cool. You saw Repairman, you saw Earboy, you saw Good Burger, you saw Denberg yelling. We talk about that a little bit with Steven. Um, you saw Danny Tamborelli? Yep, he was on that. You saw Danny Tamborelli. Was Danny Tamborelli Earboy? I don't remember. I think he might have been. Uh, you know who else was on all that? Uh, Keenan Thompson. You saw, you saw Keenan. Uh, yeah. uh, Pierre Escargot. That's right. You So you saw a cool show. You went to a taping. That's cool. But... To say that you were at New Radicals live on all that, October 2nd, 1999, I bet that was a really... I bet the people who were at that taping would tell you the best part was the musical guest. Uh, two requests if you happen to be at that at that taping on October 2nd, 1999. Number one, come on the podcast so we can talk to you about it. Number two, uh, I'm, I'm guessing that they have some sort of ticket stub that that got you in the building for that taping. We'll need proof. Yes. Send us the send, no. We don't. We don't want to see the proof. Send us the proof because we are going to put it in a glass case with the October second, nineteen ninety nine, uh, New Radicals on all that poster. That would be incredible. Hell yeah! But if it says 
a different date other than October 2nd, 1999, please uh, alter the ticket stub. Well, yeah. What if someone's like, hey, this might be a misprint. October 2nd is right, but this says 1994. You're like, oh, I knew it. <laughs> so I think that that... Uh, there, there's definitely a lot of stuff that we uh, we talked about Biden's uh, inauguration and how weird it was, like just how awkward the parade. Just yeah, yeah, yeah. The parade, uh, the parade was fucking weird, man. Like it's just a lot of slow driving, a lot of walking. Like uh, the the limo walking. I mean, driving slow enough that there were people walking next to it. Yeah. It's I. It was the least parade parade that has ever existed. And I feel bad for the host of it, Tony Goldwyn. They, he's in the studio and he's like, hi, I'm Tony Goldwyn. I'm, I, I said this on the last one. I'm not hating here, but he's like, hi, I'm Tony Goldwyn. I may have played a president, but blah, blah, blah. I'm like looking around. No, I was, no, I was in my apartment by myself, but I was like, do we know who this guy is? I may have played president. <laughs> what are you playing? It, Never seen that guy in my life. I, I MDB'd him. We have seen him in our lives. Because he was in the Belko experiment. Well, was there a president in the Belko experiment? Did he play the? Pre- there was president of the the company. Oh, what if that's what it w- was? The, imagine if what that if guy, was, big balls, yeah. Tony Goldwyn, is like I've played a president of the Belko company. What if in the 2018 film The Belko Experiment? What if he's? What if he constantly references like? Hey, like he's golfing with his friends or whatever, and they're like, "Oh man, I'm gonna be a father. I got a, I got a, got a little one on the way." He's like, "Whoa, that seems like a lot of responsibility, man." When I was when we were doing Belco, and I had to get into the mind of a president, I thought about responsibility, and they're like, "Oh, Tony, everything with him is about playing the president and the Belco experiment." <laughs> oh, this guy, he's just so obsessed with the fact that he played the president in the Belgo experiment. It was a uh, it was a weird parade. They did the very thing. weird. They they tossed to uh, a DJ who was who played uh, sing a song by Earth Wind and Fire, and then brought in Verdine White to play bass along to it over the track. And the DJ was talking the whole time. It was a real weird mess. They had the Bucks mascot. Yeah, the Bucks mascot was doing the Love Actually thing where he's just holding cards holding and like saying cards. shit and. And and it was the 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 least transparent uh, parade, virtual parade that I've ever seen. Because, like, first of all, they said that the new radicals were playing Biden's inauguration, which Biden's inauguration began at eleven a.m., which I thought meant that we would be talking about the new radicals playing Biden's inauguration by three p.m. Yeah, turns out the virtual parade started at three three fifteen p.m. and it just kept going and going and going. There was no mention of the new radicals, no mention of anything. There was no schedule ever presented. And they just kept doing all this weird shit and never mentioning the new radicals. And then like, it was like 5.30 PM. And we're like, yo, we got to record. What does the new radicals live live on Joe Biden's inauguration virtual parade concert poster look like? Does it say like January 20th, 2021 between, between 3 and 9 p.m. cable company uh, hours. <laughs> I want to see, you know what I, we should you know what we should make? We should make like a, a Lollapalooza style poster where we have 
um, like the entire lineup with like a bunch of different size fonts. And we just list all the weird shit that they did during that parade. Yes. And it'll be like, uh, like the biggest, thickest font at the very top will be Tony Goldwyn talking about himself <laughs> being president on the Belco <laughs> experiment. <laughs> and then like 40 lines down. Rise it, up. Yes. <laughs> Rise up. Which we we agreed on this. The forty fifth performance of boring. Rise Up, yeah, right. The three millionth performance of Rise Up, which I never really pay attention to that song, but I did because I was waiting for New Radicals yesterday. That is such a boring song. That it is. is, and and it loses its luster when you play it for the forty fifth time uh, with like it trying to be like this inspirational song. It's like oh. We did this the last time. Right. You want real inspiration? You wait 22 years between performances. You do a seminal performance on all that, and then you wait for the inauguration, which, uh, shout out Bo Biden, Uh, the connection that New Radicals had to Joe Biden was uh, his son Bo's favorite song was You Get What You Give, and they read lyrics from that song at his funeral. So massive respect to Bo, because there is a... There, there, like there's two types of people in this world. Those who know you get what you give is one of the greatest songs ever, and those who just haven't really considered that you get what you give is one of the greatest songs ever. Because it's, I think, I even, think a lot even, of people throw you get what you give into like this pot of '90s songs yeah, that are '90s songs. Yeah, like oh, like Sex and I, Candy. You're right. Yeah, I'm putting together a '90s playlist. Of course, this song has to go on there. This song is is a, a real good '90s song, but like not giving it the respect that it deserves as like, yo, listen to the song now right. and strip the nostalgia from it. That song is fucking phenomenal. Yeah. It's fucking, it is the, it is such a brilliant song. And Greg Alexander went on to have a, uh, a great career. Of course. I think that, I think, I feel like at some point we've brought up that he wrote, uh, the game of love. Uh, we've brought that up, or because you have brought I, you that probably up. Probably brought up many Michelle times. Branch. Yeah, and you have. I, I did know. I I knew very little about Greg Alexander and the New Radicals, other than number one power rankings of the things that I know about the New Radicals. Uh, I knew uh, you get what you give is one of the best songs of all time, and number two on the power rankings is I knew that the lead singer of the New Radicals wrote uh, the game of love by Santana and Michelle Branch. Hell yeah. And what? that absolutely came from you. Because <laughs> nobody else would tell me that. Should I... Um, you know they say certain things inspire you to to keep going. Certain things inspire you to quit. Like with their greatness. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they say that. but That makes sense. Yeah. Um, I saw a thing that's going to be way too specific. I saw a, a video... Wolfpack posted a video of uh, Nate Smith, who's this incredible drummer, drumming. And it said, like, drummers, does this inspire you to drum or does it inspire you to quit because you'll never be as good right and i think about that a lot because i feel like i get that with certain things where so like someone is so good at something that you're like that should be the only person who's allowed to do that yeah i get that with writing a lot but i it's never like i should quit it's just like man i have to realize that i'm not going to be the best writer that that exists like i can think that i'm a good writer but i have to recognize like I've been humbled by this person. They are better than me. There are people that are better than me. I need to find a way that like makes me different because at my core, I'm never going to be as good as this. Oh yeah, and I and you have the right mindset. I would. I was that way too. Where I was like certain, 
Like I, I the 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 one I thought about was uh, was Jackie McMullen. Like mm-hmm. I will, no matter what I do, I will never be that. Mm-hmm. Which is just the absolute tops at the the gold standard for everything she writes tells you so much stuff you didn't know, and it's because she's such a good reporter. She's such a good writer. Like everything is unbelievably like I, I I will nerd out reading a Jackie McMullen story the way I'll nerd out listening to you get what you give by new radicals like oh my god I could hit pause and talk for 45 minutes about why that chord was no one's just using that fucking chord but they are and they because it's doing this blah blah, blah. like Jackie McMullen is that as a writer and there's a million other writers who are also just so much better than I, I could ever be but you're right you have to lean into like what's going to make me a good writer yeah. is that it's me like whenever somebody asks me about like my advice like college kids or whatever high school kids it's my biggest one well number one is my biggest one is like do it because the hands-on experience is going to be more valuable yeah. than like going to class yeah Sorry, it's true uh but my other one is like you, you you have to know like what you who who you want to be, but like don't try to be that person. You take what you like from these people, but recognize that like they might just be better at it than you. But like take the things that you like from a bunch of different people and realize where your strengths are and like where you can uh, like grow taking those things that you like. Yeah, Greg Alexander and New <laughs> Radicals are the example though of that might inspire you to to quit. Like been been working on uh, the 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 Vineyard Nights follow up, extremely early stages. Just uh, just compiling songs, writing songs, writing songs, well, and I and I know that like there should be no expectation that like I'm going to write one of the greatest songs yeah. ever. And and like, but you, like, you also have to consider that like this that the case of the New Radicals is the most like bizarre. And it's a very unique case. Very unique. Like, this is a band that existed for, like, a second, made one of the best songs of all time, and disappeared for 22 years, and th- it was so good and, like, held such a place in time that 22 years later, we are talking, we're devoting, like, a, an entire podcast episode right. about this guy and this this one song. It was... That song it's tried, tried its absolute best to, to hide. go away. Right, it tried to hide and just disappear, be reclusive, and nobody, nobody can let that happen. No, they were like, this song means too much, and it's so so great. That and that's again not saying like I'm out here as a hobby rocker trying to make you get what you get by new radicals, but like just even try like when people say I'll, like, I, when people say like, like they, they're like the common thing is like music lives forever. Like I'll die or whatever, but music lives forever. It's like, that is so it's become so true. Like in this moment right now, because like nobody was trying to keep that song alive. Yeah. Nobody was trying to keep the new radicals alive. Nobody's trying to keep you get what you give alive. That song just has lived on its own for 22 years. And I hope the kids, other than ones who were at the October 2nd, 1999 taping of New Radicals Live on all that, I hope that like 
kids find ways to hear that song and the parents are playing it for them. I don't think that, I mean, it's not in commercials. It's no. not in movies and stuff, which it's crazy. I saw maybe um, Greg Alexander has something to do with that because I would think that places should be doing syncs and like trying to get that song and stuff because it's an incredible song and it's a useful song. Yeah. It's, it's, it's wild because I saw, um, uh, Dave Portnoy posted like a clip on Twitter yesterday about, um, he was like talking about Dave Matthews band and like the, the kid that he does the TikTok podcast with, um, had, had literally never even heard of Dave Matthews, let alone heard a Dave Matthews song. So like, that's fucking crazy to me. How do you go like with adult parents who yeah. probably know, like, how would you not hear a Dave Matthews song in passing? Yeah, that is nuts. I, I'm always very defensive though of, do you remember when Billie Eilish was on Jimmy Kimmel? And they were they named a bunch of artists and they were like, like What's Van your favorite Halen. Van Halen yeah. song? And she was like, I don't know if I know Van Halen. I was like, Oh, what a fucking loser. You don't know a it 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 seems inconceivable that but, but that but that's like how Van Halen's a lot older. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Dave Matthew Dave Matthews shocks me more that a kid would not know uh You're not far enough removed from Dave Matthews. But, especially but, as like a young kid when like so much of Dave Matthews audience is young people. But I mean, what what Dave Matthews band song would they know? I like I if Ants Marching. Ants Marching probably be number one, but Crash Into Me Crash, was the yeah. one that was really put him on um like our radar as a kid. And I would I would guarantee that a kid wouldn't know that song. Yeah, I don't know the last time that I've heard uh like Crash in the Wild. Crazy. But, but Ants Marching is like you know that song from the second that it comes in. Like, even if you heard five seconds of that song, oh yeah, you would be like, "Oh, I've heard this song before." That's nuts. Do you know what? There's a bitchin' cover of uh, there's a video of uh, of Dave Matthews Band playing uh, "Rocky Mountain Way" by Joe Walsh. You know that song? Yeah, yeah. Great song. Mm-hmm. Just a real rocker. Yeah. Not the type of thing that you think Dave Matthews Band would be playing, but he's playing it really. And he's got, I think he's got a cigarette going. I think, I'm he, in. I think this is one of my favorite moves in rock and it's very cliche, but I think he's got a uh, cigarette in the headstock of the guitar. You know when, no you know when they do that? Yeah. They stick a they cigarette that, in the headstock? Keep that baby burning. Just keep it warm. Yeah. Just, hey, I'm going to need it in a sec. I got to pay some bills for, <laughs> got to pay some bills for, uh, so I can afford bars. my cigarettes. Right. Am I, am I crazy? I remember when I, when I was a kid, I remember like, I don't know why this stuck with me, but there was a story about Dave Matthews band dumping shit from their tour bus over the side yeah. of a bridge and it like landed on uh, on like a, a boat, like a ferry, maybe. I think that, yeah, Dave Matthews wanna, band did some unethical, weird thing. I don't know if it was like, did they do it on purpose? I don't know. I I I want to look up this story because like for some reason, that story has stuck with me forever. Like, it's just one of the first things that I think of when I think of Dave Matthews. Maybe he was sued for a while. Um, uh, poop bus. Oh, fourth, fourth, uh, fourth result on Google when I type in Dave Matthews Band. Dave Matthews Band poop bus. Well, damn. Yeah, uh, yeah I, I was going to say, I thought it was uh, Chicago. And it sh- certainly was Chicago. Uh, let loose over the... You know what we're doing right now? They, uh, we're doing the Twitter thing of 
Dave, a, a young TikTok star did not know who Dave Matthews Band was, leading some to to resurface Dave Matthews' past transgressions. <laughs> uh, yeah, so they dumped human waste on a tour boat in the Chicago River. Uh, this doesn't seem seem right. It says direct hit hit from almost eight hundred pounds. What? 800 pounds of shit? That seems like that seems like too much shit. I don't know. How big is the bus? I, I was going to say, like, I'm not good with that sort of stuff, but, like, good, who knows about any of that? 800 pounds he just seems like so much. But I guess if, like, it's a big tank or something. Yeah. That is crazy. Can I, I ask what year was this? Yes. Let me, uh, let me go ahead and... Oh, it was... October 2nd. No, see, that's why I'm asking. (laughs) Let me guess. It was after October 2nd, 1999. It was afterwards. Yeah, the world went to shit, literally. So that's what I'm saying. That was the last moment of being... It was 2004. Greg Alexander telling everybody, don't give up. You got a reason to live. Can't forget... We only get what we give. Wow. The, the Chicago Tribune did uh, 15 years ago today, a Dave Matthews Band tour bus dumped human waste on a tour boat in Chicago. Here's our original report. They just repurposed the report 15, 15 years later. Just getting that sweet SEO, baby. <laughs> wow. Wow. So did we... I can't remember what we said here and what we said in the last episode. What else didn't we get to? We, wanted, we said that we want to... Uh, we oh we have surprisingly little uh, pull in the podcast world. We were saying like we should be we should consider ourselves titans of industry because we got a lot of mileage. But we did we did a lot longer on um, on Wayne's podcast. On sucks butt, yeah. yeah. And sorry to Wayne's podcast, uh, which much like Wayne's podcast, that podcast doesn't exist anymore. Right, we talked about. And we pumped it up and how great it is because that is a very good idea for podcasts. We also talked about um, what song we would nominate. Oh, yes. And I found out that you actually did have a guest appearance on Sucks Butt. Yes. And you chose a song. I chose a uh, David Foster produced number. Uh, She's a Beauty by The Tubes. A great song. And it ended up being a good submission because I was really excited about it. I was like, ooh, I think this song is too good. I think that they're not going to... I think they're going to say this doesn't qualify. And they were like, oh, yeah, we Eric said, um, I, I never need to hear that song again the rest of my life. That (laughs) devastating, but that's a great podcast. And I would love for it to come back. The issue is, A, I don't know if Wayne and Eric want to do it again. I hope they do, but it would have to be. Spotify does so many podcasts these days. They're bankrolling a lot of podcasts. I feel like Spotify or Apple Music would need to bankroll it so they can play the music mm-hmm. without fear of getting a cease and desist or DMCA. worse, getting sued. Um, because I, I, music is the the, mu- the song being played and them talking over it is obviously very critical to it. But great podcast. Uh, we talked about how despite not being a music podcast, most of our friends and online friends are music people like if we want we could rap, we could do a month of cool music guests which we should do anyway we should like we got it we were saying like we got to have how mouth back on mm-hmm. um shane matt zach haven't talked to zach in a while 
but Shane, uh, Shane, Matt, maybe one at a time. Maybe let's maybe let's let's do, a, do like a newlywed game. I, I was gonna say we do a houndmouth um, interrogation. We got to keep we got to keep them separate. We yeah. do three we do three episodes, the same episode, asking the three of them <laughs> the same questions. And see figure if they can out get who's their, lying. Yeah, see if they can get their story straight. I like that. I like we, that idea. I bet we could get. I bet we could get uh, all three of them to sing. Yeah, I bet we could get it. I bet we could get all three of them to play each other's instruments too. That's true. When you uh, interrogate people, you're trying to get one of them to sing. We should all we those should guys sing. Keep this uh, idea on the shelf, and next time we go see the Howmouth guys, we should do a video series, and we get them in a dark room with just a lamp, and we shine the lamp right in their face. Yeah, and we we do the podcast idea. Yeah, we mix in some maybe like mean to them for whatever reason as we Hell interrogate yeah. them. Well, we got to well we got to figure out a dynamic. There's got to be a bad cop, good cop dynamic. Good cop, bad cop. Yeah, I don't know who would be the. I don't know. You know what? I think that, that <laughs> I think our dynamic would be better suited for bad we, cop, weird bad cop, cop, weird cop. <laughs> like you come in just doing some like off the wall stuff. Like, hey, this guy, this is really random. I don't know where this guy's coming from. Maybe this guy, this guy's a little crazy. I don't know what he's doing. Like, hey, Pete, get out of there. Get out of there. Get out of there. I come in. I do a stand up routine about the exact movie <laughs> that you were just talking about, and then they know like. Wait a second. There's These guys no, are in cahoots. There's no good cop here. <laughs> what kind of weird world are we in? And then we keep them very disillusioned, and we get them to sing. We get them to we get them to sing real good. We get we get uh, we get Shane doing Honey Slider. That's how much we're gonna get him to sing because he sings that song. We get. Oh yeah, we'll get him to sing. Watch your back, hound mouth. What are we talking about? <laughs> <laughs> Here's Stephen Horowitz. Joining us to discuss New Radicals is online friend, longtime journalist, and Greg Alexander biographer Stephen Horowitz. I didn't write there the longtime music journalist because you've interviewed everybody, Mariah Carey, Greg Alexander, you name it. First question, what's Father John Misty like? I I did meet him once, actually, yeah. at, a bill, at a billboard cover shoot that was with... Um, Brittany Howard and uh, the guy who's... Oh, Hosier. Oof, God, it's been so long since he's been in public consciousness that I forgot his name. Anyways, kind of a weird guy. Keeps to himself. His wife was there. They only talked to each other. That was it. Hell yeah. That sounds uh, kind of fitting. Uh, yeah. Did you touch well, him or shake his hand at all? Yeah. I did shake his hand because I did, like, on-camera interviews with all three of them separately. And um, I believe we shook hands. I, I still have like a glossy film on my hand still from it. Um, it's because I touch greatness, you know? Yeah. Fuck, I mean, we, me and DJ right. have this, this, uh, this common line of thinking that like we would never want to touch Father John Misty because he's just like this, this aura and not actually a human person. Yeah. We can't make him real. You know? So you touch him, he like takes a part of your soul with him. So. I, I I walked away from that shit a little emptier that day, but it was worth it. Cool. I think that's the goal with him. Um, for those, so like people know New Radicals, I think like everyone knows you get what you give. Although I didn't realize it wasn't as big a hit as I thought it was. Like it wasn't a huge hit in the United States. I guess it was just like the music video and we'll kick your asses, which actually isn't even the lyric I also recently learned. It's kick your ass in. But like there were things about New Radicals when they happened, which is a very brief time. 
that people remembered. So when they came up this weekend, they were performing at the Biden thing. People were like, oh, that band. And people were either really excited because they knew they were more significant than just the moment in time that they were. And then other people were like, who the hell are they? So for people who maybe only have seen them in their October 2nd, 1999 performance on all that, what is the significance, Stephen, of New Radicals? I think you're the Greg Alexander super fan because I did not know they were on all that. Um, oh, it's must-see, must-see. I'll send it to you right after. Wow, okay. Um, the significance of the New Radicals. Well, you know, they started as a, uh, a band that sort of sprung uh, out, I guess you could say, after Greg sort of had these two failed solo albums. Um, and he was living in Michigan. He moved to L.A. And he just basically had, like, a wheelhouse of friends that he just started making music with it. Basically like he told me he, it was new radicals was a solo project. Um, so it was kind of like a rotating cast of members. I guess you could say the only other permanent member is Danielle Brisbois, who some of you might know, I think she was a child actress on all in the family. Um, but she went on to be, uh, his longtime collaborator, regardless, um, new radicals came out with their album. Maybe you've been brainwashed too. That was in October of 1998. Uh, as you said, You Get What You Give was not as huge of a hit as people remember. It, I think, peaked at number 36 on the Hot 100 then, which is actually quite low if you think about it. But to my recollection, watching TRL as a kid, that was always in the top 10. That was a big hit on MTV. So I think that's where the sort of dissonance occurs with their popularity. But what happened was they put out the album and the song takes off and they start going on tour and Greg just decides, I don't want to do this anymore. Just pulls the plug halfway through the tour. Um, they had another single lined up called Someday You'll Know. And they shot a video for it. It never officially came out. It's sort of floating around on YouTube. But after that, Greg was just disillusioned with the music industry. He didn't want anything to do with the spotlight. He told me that he was becoming the... Uh, the bonus for all these music industry executives, uh, like year end, and he didn't like to see himself as a dollar sign. So he basically went out of the spotlight, became a solo songwriter, uh, and he ended up writing huge, massive hits that you wouldn't know, like Santana Michelle Branch's The Game of Love. Oh, yeah. And over, overseas, he had huge success too with um, Sophie Ellis Baxter's Murder on the Dance Floor and Running Keating's. Uh, Life is a roller coaster, and um, you know he's worked with everyone from like Enrique Iglesias to Hanson at one point, who he bemoans on "You Get What You Give," and um, he's had a really long career. I guess you could say uh, he has retreated from the spotlight a lot after he's found success because he keeps getting disillusions. Um, and then in 2014, he came back to soundtrack the film "Begin Again." And he was nominated for an Oscar with that uh, for Lost Stars, which is an incredible song. And that was sung by Adam Levine. But if you go on YouTube, you can see Greg performing it during the, the run up to the Oscars that year. And he lost, but, you know, it is what it is. And uh, from there, he kind of does songwriting a, a bit these days. He most recently worked with Kaiser Chiefs uh, on a song and, and, the struts as well put your money on me which is like a very very good Yo, song. i didn't know that the struts and i i was such an old guy about this i didn't know the struts don't write their shit and that's such a stupid old rock guy thing like i always give rock people shit when they're like 
Beyonce doesn't write her songs. I'm like, well, fucking Father John Misty does. Like, get on, get off her. Like, great people are writing it, and they're making good. Like, whenever people point to the like, oh, Freddie Mercury wrote Bohemian Rhapsody all by himself. I'm like, cool, that's a great song. Songs written by other people are great songs. Shut the hell up. But I did learn recently that Greg Alexander is among the many who have written the Struts music for them. And I was like, man, as a rock guy, I kind of feel like a dick because I'm judging them a little bit. That's that's on me though. That's stupid. Yeah. Well. The Struts are in a league of their own, I guess you can say. They're like, uh, what's the, they're like the, you could say like the Millie Vanilli of our time, except they play their own instruments and sing. Yeah. I don't know. Is Struts that a horrible rule, comparison? And they, they're, yeah, they're, they're super fun. Like they yeah. go, they, 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 you want to talk about Freddie Mercury, they go out and they, they act like Queen and like, fuck yeah. It, it, it there does seem to be a bit of uh, a, a very, very low level. Uh, Greta Van Fleet going on with them where they're like, <laughs> we know what you want. Yeah, we can yeah. kind of do it. So we're going to do it. Now I'm just like, it's supposed to be a new radical segment, but now I can, all I can think about is the struts. Remember that time when we saw the struts live and we were like, yo, this band fucking rules. Absolutely. These guys are a party. They did one of the 300. It was at a music festival and they were one of, I think we were like doing a drinking game of like, do whatever every time a band says okay we want everyone to get really really low everyone get low as low to the ground as you can and when we say everybody get up and because every band was doing that and we were like it must look really cool from the stage to see everybody do this because every band we have seen (laughs) so far has asked us to do that and uh the struts uh of course did that but yeah like and and that's a great album for, for a band that only put out one album that is a great album and something that I don't think would – I'm going to be an old rock guy again. Like th- that just wouldn't happen today. Like pop rock that's piano-driven and – but like there's guitars. There's a little like bit of non- – he's big into nonsense I would say. A lot of his songs just have general nonsense going on where he's not really necessarily saying words. Like there's a lot of shit happening that I just feel like wouldn't wouldn't happen right now. So I hope that album – has stood the test of time for people because like I went back and, and listened I to it today. Say, it's great. I also did. And I will say that uh, I would also just like quit my band and quit music and fame. If I wrote uh, you get what you give and it peaked at 36, like <laughs> I would just be like, no, nah, this isn't for me. Fuck that. <laughs> that is, that is a, a brilliant song. I give Taylor Swift's uh, I know places and, uh katie perry's firework not firework uh teenage dream a lot of credit for never uh really playing the one chord like the the kind of home base of the song and i was listening to you get what you give today and i was like oh shit this doesn't do it either it just kind of keeps you like well in fact the only time that it really does play that chord is when he says don't let go in the chorus which i think is kind of fitting because you spend the whole song like not really grounded to it and then the beginning of the chorus, you get it for just a little second. Uh, I, it's a fucking brilliant song. And that's a good transition because uh, Pete and I were texting yesterday about you get what you give. And uh, he was saying like that, all that performance is seven minutes long. Wow. Like they, they, they open it up on all that. They just fucking jam it out on all that power move. And then he was like, and especially that song, how are you playing it for seven minutes? And we were like, well, how long actually is it? Because there are kind of a lot of parts to it. It kind of just like hangs out for like 30 seconds and then they count in, which normally happens before. Yeah. I don't know. Like you hit record, then you count in, then you play. So it's a five minute song. There's a lot of fucking things happening in that song. So uh, we are going to do our uh, 
top five favorite parts of you get what you give in part can be anything it can be this part of the song it can be this lyric it can be whatever so uh i also tweeted out yesterday the the all that performance and roger sherman tweeted back at me he was like all that had like stacked musical performances definitely and like part of the reason for that might be that they just were like, take as much time as you need to perform whatever song you want. Yeah, you got they, a five minute song, just tack on two minutes, go did, for it. Didn't New Radical like I, I think New Radicals cut off uh, half of the first verse for the Joe Biden thing? Yeah, yeah. So like all that is the opposite of the Biden parade. They're like, you don't have to edit. In fact, you know what? Jam that's some bullshit. Yeah, <laughs> just like. <laughs> We know the perfect band to kind of like add some weird extra stuff to their song, New Radicals. I think, I think for all that, like, they probably were like, yeah, take as much time as you need because that, like, saves us two minutes of having to fill with a new sketch. Like, it <laughs> oh, probably fair. worked to their benefit. We would, we would like to not ask these 16-year-olds to write another sketch for this show, so please... There Take are, as much time as you need. Uh, we, we, we've already we've already got four repairman sketches in this episode. We, we could do a second ear boy, but I don't know. They they've stopped laughing at, at ear boy. I think once they figured it out that that it was just it's a guy with big ears. I think that the mystique is gone with uh, with ear boy. Uh, we I guess another episode we could just do top five uh, all that sketches, but I think it legitimately would just be like good burger ear boy repairman Lori beth denberg screaming in the library and that honestly may have been it um who wants to start for uh well uh, steven uh give us a uh one of your top five favorite parts of new radicals you get what you give sure it's weird because that's a song i've listened to like probably hundreds of times and i never sat with it to be like huh i wonder what like hits me the hardest so i went back and listened a few times this morning and there's this one part where there's like, it's just instrumental. It's like halfway through this one, maybe two minutes and 38 seconds in where um, he, Greg just lets out this huge yelp and I'll reenact it for you. He's like, ow. And uh, there's like a guitar that that's just below where he's singing and it sort of leads him in. And then it's just the guitar is strumming. I mean, you could probably, I don't know if you can edit this to cut it in, but it's an amazing moment. And what's amazing about it to me is that he's, it's like the song is sort of always edging towards this grand explosion that you're waiting for. Like you were talking about before. Yeah, and it never, it never gets never there. Actually, it never centers on the, the chord that you're expecting it to hit. And so to substitute or overcompensate for that, there's this one moment where Greg like lets up his yelp and it sort of dovetails with the electric guitar also making the same noise and they sort of become indistinguishable at a certain point. And it feels like this really grand release in the middle of the song. So that to me this morning was what stuck out. To oh, me. I know exactly what it's, it's after the yeah. second chorus. Yeah. Yes. Like right I, would like to, I would like to go ahead and show you my notes. My number one is just the owl. <laughs> Bro. <laughs> Wow. Exactly. Exactly. Incredible. Pete, what's your, uh, what's your number five? And these, uh, these can be in no particular order. Uh, My number five is literally just uh, that I'm listening to you get what you give. That's my favorite part of the song because it's impossible to listen to that song and not be happy. Dude, one of my, I don't know if I'm going to make it one of my top five, but one of mine is just that like uh, someone's letting you know uh, you got the music in you. (laughs) <laughs> I like that. I You're like the reminder every now that. and then. Every now and then, I think someone needs to know. And like 
in that all that performance, I feel like now if it happened, people would be weird and they'd take it out of context. But like he's in like this sea of children. He goes into the audience and he's like pointing at different kids. He's like, oh, I like I feel the music in you. I feel the music in you. And like it's just great. He's just like going around to these these kids. And now also, it sounds like weird as I say it, but like just say like like you got the music and you got the music. I was like, dude, they so have the music. You're right. Also, the the visual of of just like somebody going into the crowd, an adult man going into like a sea of and children, and just standing there while they all like they're just rocking out around him while he just sings his part in the song is so funny and He's like so boy. pure. And yeah. and that is some like Beatles at Shea Stadium vibes. I don't know if they like <laughs> turned up the audience mics. Like Steven, I can't wait till you watch this. They <laughs> they are these kids are fucking freaking out like I have never freaked out at a concert yeah. in my life. It is uh, very cool because like there uh, there are times like you you watch the the Super Bowl or or, or like Super Bowl halftime show or whatever, like, and they go out there jump up and down. Uh, right it, there was like one point in the all that video where like there's a girl standing next to this guy. And she is legitimately smitten. She is okay. just having the time of her life. It is the best. Okay. Uh, I think for mine. Yeah. You know what? I'm going to put. Uh, oh, yeah. I'm going to put. Uh, you got the music in you. Uh, Steven. Let's get let's get another one. Oh, boy. Um, I guess this is more contextual, but when he does the part that everybody ran away with, the part where he name checks all the celebrities and oh, yeah. sort of bemoans their success. The Eminem verse. I, I mm-hmm. think, I think just contextually that to me stands out as one of the best parts of it, not because he's like rapping in your face, but more because it's literally the exact critique that Greg was making on, on pop culture at large, that if you just toss a bunch of celebrity names into a song, that's what people are going to focus on. And if you listen to the rest of the song, it's actually a very political song. He's talking about, you know, capitalist society and big bankers and all this shit. And then all of a sudden he just tosses in a a bunch of uh, barbs at these random people. And I mean, I think that's really brilliant. Like he, he played exactly to what he knew was going to be the takeaway. And he sort of couched it in this grand political song that you don't really realize is one until you sort of look at the lyrics. You're so right. Because I do remember the takeaway uh, other than like, like that, that will kick your ass in part really didn't do the song huge favors because that, like that section you're right was all that people talked about. And I think people thought like, we'll kick your ass was a little corny. So they were like, okay, like maybe like we just write these guys off. But what they were talking about lyric wise, that song other than that line was they were like, what what's he what, what why is he throwing Beck in there like what's he like what, what's what's the dig at Beck and you're right like that is amid him like talking about the FDA and like all these different things and of course everyone's like you said Marilyn Manson though let's uh <laughs> let's get into that a little bit uh Pete what's your number four uh my number four is uh it's five minutes too it's five minutes long but doesn't feel a second too long yes I'm with that. It's just like I was stunned that that song was five minutes long, but also, I I've never once thought about how long that song is because I've never been like, yeah, yo, when is this song over? So my four is also going to be similar to yours. Uh, loitering in the beginning of the song. Uh, I don't know if he's does he, is he saying your light or like yo light? He said there's there's like the little uh, intro, and he's just kind of hanging out, just kind of like moaning, making some sounds, and. Uh, 
then eventually there's the big one, two, three, ow, that uh, everybody loves. But he just kind of hangs out in the beginning of that song for a little bit, which is kind of similar to um, Mother We Just Can't Get Enough, which is right. a, Make a my splendid nipples hard. song. Right. Yeah. Just, like, just like warming you up a little bit. I was going to say, like, they're, they're big on, on uh, weird intros. Yeah. Make My Nipples Hard of, of uh, Mother We Just Can't Get Enough is very funny still. Hell yeah. <laughs> Um, Steven, number three. Oh man. I, I'm sort of doing this on the fly, but yeah, you can just say like, shut up. This game is stupid. You guys do. No, I love, I love this. Listen, I could sit here and pick like 30 things about that song that I love. Um, I think sort of to piggyback off of what you were talking about the intro, I like it not just because he's sort of like floating and moaning with all these, these weird amorphous noises, but what I like is the first notes of the song that you hear, the instrumentation. I think it's such a great way to lead you into such a free and elastic song where it's like, dun, 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 dun. and it's, there's this weird chopping that happens with the synth where it yeah. just cuts off and it feels very precise. And then it has the, it's just, it feels like uh, almost um like a fantasy leading into the song and i think it sort of sets the tone in this really strange and sort of beautiful way so yeah, yeah i've always yeah i mean i as i was just uh, i was just talking about that part a few seconds ago and i kind of was a coward and skipped saying specifically what i thought it was because i like actually don't know what that is like it, it, you're right it's probably a synth or something but i'm like is that like maybe harpsichord or like a like the when you do like uh, on a keyboard when you do the like electric guitar setting and it's like this horrible kind of like fake sounding steel type of sound like that that part is awesome it's like it's you're right it's like very bouncy but very tight and that's why getting back to what uh, you were saying earlier like the explosion of when the piano comes in is amazing because you you're kind of kept with this like tight sort of thing and then you get the one two three and again your brain is thinking okay we're finally going to hear uh i think the song's in d we're finally going to hear a d and you don't hear that but you're getting piano and you're getting like this big festival it's kind of letting you know like this is where the fucking song is uh, this, your description of this song is just like very sexual <laughs> you think you're bouncy <laughs> and tight and there's the d you're waiting you for the wait d. for the explosion and then you're there yep wow. very so, sexual song keeps you waiting for the d and it only gives it to you in passing pete uh number three uh, the, the fact that they, the lyrics throw in frenemies, which I don't think enough songs in early music use do. of frenemy. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, that's, I think that's very underrated. Um, okay. I think here is where, I, here's where we get to like the big dogs. Uh, I think I'm going to go with, um, the pre-chorus features the patented Greg Alexander high note. Uh, the the patented Greg Alexander pre-chorus high note, I should say. When Game of Love came out, that was, I think, the first time I... And I'd have to check if Wikipedia was around there, but I do think that was the first time I heard a song said, I bet this other person wrote it and looked it up and saw it was written by that guy. Because the pre-chorus of Game of Love is so much like the pre-chorus of um, You Get What You Give that it had to be Greg. And it fucking was. So... I'm going to go with the patented Greg Alexander pre-chorus high note. 
Uh, number two, Stephen, very impressive that you've made it this far, just going off the fly. I could wing it all day, my friend. Um, number two, mine are not in any particular order, by the way. This is <laughs> or, just sort of like I, as I they come to rank, you. <laughs> as yeah, you guys can rank them. I'm more like a free spirit. Um, <laughs> so I would say. I, well, I'm kind of cheating a little bit because I, when I interviewed Greg, um, uh, for the 20 year anniversary of this album, we talked a lot about you get what you give. And something that he told me uh, that went into the construction of the song was that he wrote the song as an exercise. So what he would do is he would try, he would write one line and then he would try to top it with the next one. And all of it was derived specifically from the experiences he had. And, and the Billboard profile I wrote of him, I, I touch on the, a few of them. And uh, one of them is like, I, 4 a.m., we ran a miracle mile. Like, him and his friends did that. And we're flat broke, but hey, we do it in style. Like, he was couch surfing all over L.A. And I love how autobiographical the song is, even though when you listen to it, it really doesn't feel like an autobiographical song in a way. Yeah, like he puts he puts a lot of himself into the song, and yet the song sort of has this remove, where it, unless you're listening very closely, you you kind of can't really get it. It really does like seem incoherent. Like, yeah, <laughs> on the surface, that song seems incoherent. It's kind of like um, it, it's kind of like we are the we didn't start the fire. I was gonna say we are the world. Um, <laughs> it's as good as we are the world. Uh, it's kind of like we didn't start the fire. As far as like, it always hit me as some like kind of vague commentary on kids these days, you know? And I guess it was, if it was, if he was being autobiographical, but you're right. He, it's, it, it surprises me to learn that he was talking about real life experiences. Cause it just kind of sounds like, I don't know. Any it sounds like you like, write, write a bunch of things down and then you throw them in a pot and you kind of like pick them out at random. Right. Like the, what's the, uh, uh, the big star song. That's the theme to, um, that '70s show, it kind of, it's kind of like that, like, uh, like, uh, like drive your mom's car, like, man, I wish we had a joint, like, it's just, it just kind of sounds like one of those songs, which is just vague, youngish people. This is what we do. Um, so good for uh, Greg Alexander, uh, actually living the life of uh, of those <laughs> lyrics. Uh, Pete, number two, uh, number two is uh, basic, but it's the countdown at, uh, the, at the very beginning. One, like two, three, yeah. The, the is count is, is, I mean, there's no, off the top of my head, there's not a song that like gets me more hyped to like listen to that song than the count in for, uh, you get what you give. Yeah. Shit. So that was going to be one of my, that was going to be my number two or my number one, but all of my, all of mine have been basically the same thing as what, uh, Pete just said. So I'm going to, I won't make that my number two. I will make my number two. Um, very, it's a cousin of one, two, three, Al, uh, Give it to me now. Hell yeah. <laughs> right? Hell yeah. Great part. That was autographic. That was autobiographical <laughs> as well. <laughs> I wish that was your follow up question. You're like, so, so what like, does this have to do? So, Give it to me now. That happened to you? <laughs> uh, uh, number one. Again, Steven's a free spirit. So no pressure on this, number one. Oh boy. I mean, I thought we were starting with our favorite moment. So the, the Yelp is definitely my favorite moment. Okay. We'll switch that. We'll put, yeah. We'll put that number one for you. No Just, problem. You know, cool. Thank you. Um, new number five. I, now. <laughs> I, I guess, 
Uh, number five. I mean, I'm, I'll cheat a little bit too on this one, but the video, like the oh, video yeah. just takes the phone to another level. It's ridiculous. I don't know if you guys have watched it in a while. I don't know if I've ever seen it. I watch. Oh, it's fucking like when I think of like 90s music videos and this was obviously 98. So it was like right at the end of the 90s. But that is an iconic shot. The band playing in on the second floor, I think, of the mall. It's it's set in a mall and they're just like throwing nets on like old people in suits and it's just like a bunch of kids like uh hanging out running around the mall having a party uh but there's a shot there's a bandstand on the first level which is where like most of the band footage for that is shot but there's there are all these shots throughout it of the band playing on the second level but it's shot from like the very 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 ground and that shot up of the band playing and him just kind of like dancing and grooving the way only he can iconic I'm so glad it's that you amazing. wore the bucket hat for the uh, the Biden thing. Like, just I did not expect really, that. Yeah, I, I, like I thought, there's some growth. There's some growth that happened, obviously, but like still, still into the bucket hat. Yeah, you know, these days Greg pretty much wears a baseball cap, Ooh. and I've seen I, I've I've seen Greg a few times in the past few years, and he's always wearing his baseball cap. But uh, in the performances starting in 2014, for when uh, Begin Again was doing its Oscar run. He always was wearing the bucket hat or the the baseball cap, excuse me. And I was talking with a uh, a friend before this Biden performance, and I was like, "There's no way he's gonna wear the bucket hat. Like that dude is so over it." And there you have it. So yeah, I I mean that's like the iconic look. I would have guessed that he would come to resent it. We actually we asked uh, we had Tom Everett Scott on the show, and we asked him if he is hesitant to wear Ray-Bans because that was his look in that thing you do. Of course. And he was like, no, not again. I think he said he was like mainly an aviators guy, but he was like, he's not, I don't know. He like very much embraces uh, all the craziness that came with that thing you do where I feel like uh, Greg Alexander would be, I mean, clearly given that he disbanded a successful project uh, probably. And this is not a, um, this is not an insult. It commonly is, but I, hate that it is i think that he's probably generally like a malcontent right like he probably doesn't want to be known for doing the same thing or for i don't know like some bucket hat company to make money (laughs) off of like this is the greg alexander look and he's probably like fuck you let me live so uh surprised that he would bring that back pete you're number one i already spilled spoiled it a bit earlier but it's it's the owl it's the owl Uh, it's my number one note my number one favorite thing it's it just you you you're waiting for it. So wow! So this is uh, this is uh, first in top five list. Unanimous? Yeah, we'll no. We have two of the same number ones. My number one, I think, will be uh, the one two three owl. Also making it the first time in show history that all three number ones have been some type of owl, but not the same owl. So you guys have the 238 owl. I've got the 123 owl that comes uh, after the intro, which honestly, if you told me that that owl after the intro was 238 into the song, I would believe you because you know how new radicals can be. They'll just open it up (laughs) on a moment's notice and jam out. They'll jam out an intro for a few minutes before uh, counting in the song. Uh, Steven, this has been an absolute blast. I hope that, uh, I, I know, I mean, you've enlightened me on things about new radicals and, uh, Greg Alexander. I consider myself a fan of this band. 
But if there were a book put out, which I suppose you would probably write, I bet I would learn a lot of new things. So for the people who are fans but know there's there's more for them to learn, uh, I, I thank you. We we th- we thank you for coming on. Hey, Greg and and you, Alexander's are uh, my favorite topic to opine about so i appreciate the opportunity oh thank you to steven that was a good countdown that was a good top five it was a good countdown uh apologies for the for the audio not the best audio but yeah i was getting a alert on my end because we had to record that remotely i was getting an alert that was like system blah blah connections between the three of you audio is not awesome but it's it's listenable listen what do you want from us yeah, we we lost a full episode. Yeah, a little respect here. At um, least we kept that one. Yeah. So, any more new radicals talk questions you have? the The brunch account is the brunch Twitter account for the last couple of days, at least, has been pretty heavily new radicals. So, interact, do whatever you want. Uh, I asked you the other day if uh, you've watched if you've watched Your Honor. Mm-hmm. On Showtime. No, yes. I said, are you going to watch Your Honor? You did say, are you going to watch Your Honor? And I was, I was, I gave you the old sassy, if you mean gonna, that I have been the entire time since its premiere day. Yes. I was uh, excited And then I doubled about, down. I was like, are you going to do it? I'm asking if you're going to, <laughs> so when it's on again, are you going to watch it? That's all. Um, yeah, I was, uh, I was high on that show for, for quite a while. And then all of a sudden it was, it was just here. And, uh. Yeah, I think I think that I've I've seen it uh, pick up some steam. Mm-hmm. People are people are starting to, to it's gaining a buzz. Brian Cranston mm-hmm. plays a judge. Son commits a hit and run, and they decide to cover it up. And there's consequences. Mm-hmm. I started watching it this past week. I knew it was coming out. I saw previews for it, and I just never thought to watch it. And I was like, oh, Check there's out. seven episodes. Banged out all seven. The show is I don't know how good it is. So I feel I feel I like watching it. I, have, I don't know how good it is. I have a lot of the same uh the same feelings towards it as I did with um the uh the Nicole Kidman show. Uh what's that? What Yeah, um The Undoing. The Undoing. Yeah, yeah. I I think like I'm enjoying this. I like I I'm looking forward to it every week. I know that it's not perfect, and I think that Your Honor is significantly more imperfect than uh, than, than the Undoing was. But like, it is—it's not so—it's not bad. It—I would say that parts of it are ridiculous. It is—it is an absurd show. It is—I liken it to an episode of South Park, where one of them does one thing. And again, a, a bad thing is done. But one of them does a, a bad thing, and within three scenes, houses are blowing up, <laughs> yeah. and all these like crazy things. Every, like people are acting dead, ridiculously. Like, oh, just everything happening so fast and so crazy. And for a show that basically asks Brian Cranston to reprise Walter White in yeah. a lot of ways, it is so the opposite. Uh, pace wise of Breaking Bad Breaking Bad is the ultimate or I would say second ultimate not necessarily penultimate because that that's more linear but um, Better Call Saul I think is the ultimate slow burn Mm -hmm. and Breaking Bad is behind that this is everything 
all at once, so fast. Yeah, it's like an so Ozark crazy. type deal where it's like, hey, you you got ADHD? Well, let's let's hit you with it very uh, very very quickly. It's chaotic, uh, but it does have. And I don't know. Maybe I haven't seen enough of this guy's work. Very pleasantly surprised and excited to watch Gangster Stuhlbarg because Michael Stuhlbarg brunch favorite is. You haven't watched enough Stuhlbarg. I can already tell because, like, my uh, my introduction to Stuhlbarg was Gangster Stuhlbarg. Really? Yeah. He was in uh, Boardwalk Empire, and he was fantastic. I'm so dumb. I watched Boardwalk Empire. Really? I watched season one. Oh, okay. Do you, uh, was he in season one? He might have been. I think he probably was. I gave up on Boardwalk Empire, even though you I re- shouldn't have done I binged, that. I binged, I binged season like, one. I was like, really great, good and show. then I didn't watch it anymore. Really good show, and Sulbarg was fantastic in it. He plays like a very creepy uh, Rothst- Rothstein, Rothstein. I think was his character's name. Okay. He was the New York like mob mob guy. He drank a lot of milk. Oh, interesting. He was I don't like recall. a he was like a very measured, very calm, but like nasty uh, mob boss. So they kind of just so he plays a mob boss in that movie. So they this or, or that show this series is just like asking people to play their hits. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, like when you're casting, they're like. It's not really any out-of-the-box thinking in terms of casting. It's just like, we need this character. When have we seen somebody play a character like this? Ah, let's get that guy. It, it, the, the show, so the, the show again, imperfect. I won't say it's not good. It's but very dramatic to it's the point. so dramatic. To the point where it kind of honestly feels like a parody of like the show that it's trying to make. Because it is so ridiculous and like over-the-top. Yeah. With like... And just like the characters make the worst decisions, and a lot of the dialogue is a little rough. Yeah, and I, I so the last episode, Stuhlbarg, I thought gave his best performance of the series. But and this won't spoil it. You haven't seen the last episode. There's he's talking to, uh, Michael, the uh, Brian Cranston's character, and he says to him, "You know what I hate, Georgia." Peaches, peach trees, peach this, peach that. Everything's got to be about peaches there. I hate it. But not as much as I hate people who don't keep their word. What? What? (laughs) (laughs) What the fuck? And I was like, the whole episode, uh, Stuhlbarg's great because he's Stuhlbarg, and Brian Cranston's great because he's Brian Cranston. It was like, who's writing this? Right. (laughs) No offense, yeah, and I like I think the performances are pretty good. It's just like the writing is not amazing. Yeah. Um and we wanted to have a guest from your honor for this episode. We oh, yeah. reached out, got pretty pretty emphatically denied. Got a borderline shut up. Yeah, essentially. Um but you know, I I uh, uh one of the questions that like when we when we were thinking about po- possibly like this person might entertain the idea of coming on. One of the questions I wanted to ask was like, this show is very proud of being from new Orleans. Oh yeah. And I want to know how much they're actually getting right about new Orleans. Oh yeah. I like, I like to read those things with the, uh, I do this with the, like the shy and stuff. Like what did they get right? What did mm-hmm. they get wrong? And I refuse to think that the shy gets like anything, anything wrong, wrong but because like Lena wouldn't. Right. Exactly. Lena wouldn't get it wrong. Right. She's like the, I would say, a very 
passionately authentic storyteller. Especially when it comes to Chicago. Passionate about Chicago. Yeah. I want to know, like, I guess I could look into it myself and find out, like, what the connection to New Orleans is between, like, the showrunner and I don't know what what that is. But uh, this show seems very proud to be from New Orleans, but it's not like a, it's not like overly romanticized portrayal of New Orleans. Like, it, for better or for worse, it, it, it presents New Orleans. Um, so I just, I'm, I'm very interested into seeing what, what they get right and what they don't. Showtime likes doing this. Um, I would say putting Chet Hayes in shows because he's <laughs> in this as well as uh, shameless, but I just binged shameless and shameless does a lot of the, the family is called the Gallagher family. Uh, maybe four times an episode. Someone will say we're Gallagher's Gallagher's pay our debts or, that's a we're that's Gallagher's. A, that's a Game of we Thrones stick thing. together. Does Game of Thrones do that? The Lannister, uh, Lannister always pays its de- pays their debts. Oh, really? Yeah. Is Game of, Game of Thrones is HBO? Yep. But there's a lot of um, that that thing of look. Like, I, we're, we're good this. for it. We do this. Yeah. Okay. We're we known do, for hey, being for hey, being look, good for it. Look, I'm a bean. Beans lose podcasts. Okay. <laughs> you know, like shit like that. Um, you think I'll press play? Right. Or I'll press record, but I'm not going to. Bean. By the way, I, the, the podcast that we lost today was was my fault. I I was I think I was very gracious because I, it, we both lost it. Yeah, we did. Like we did the so old like cares? we did like, the old, we did the old like hey we just finished recording for forty five minutes and then you were like hey that but that light hasn't been on for for the last thirty minutes. Yeah, but whatever. I mean, I <laughs> we vibed. If if we had if I had someplace to be and like this like fucked with my schedule and everything, yeah. I'd be like oh no this. Is, but generally. I don't get very if 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 uh, someone makes a mistake, I generally and I'm I'm virtue signaling I guess right now, but I I always feel so bad for someone when they make a mistake mm-hmm. versus like, well, what the fuck did you do that for? Like they you you didn't fucking mean to not press it. Like that's how I feel about like car accidents. Like the car accidents that I've ever been in, the person's like, oh my god, and I'm just like. Yeah, like, I know that you didn't get in your car happened. being yeah. like, I'm going to crash my car today. <laughs> right, right. I'm I'm totally with you. Um, so, on uh, Your Honor, it does a lot of, of... car This <laughs> is... Yeah. They do it. This is New Orleans, man. Word gets around. Yeah. I was like, I don't know if that's a New Orleans quality. <laughs> you just saying that. And everyone right. in the room is like, that's right. Because we're in New Orleans. Uh it's just, it's a very absurd show. Uh, but yeah, Chet Hayes is in it. Chet Hayes is also in Shameless, and maybe he's not that bad an actor. I feel like he kind of, he's, I mean, I don't know. He like, play, he, he play, he always plays a dude. They're asking him, they're asking the minimum of him, especially right. in Your Honor. I, I've never seen Shameless, but like, yeah, I think I could do what he did in Shameless, or uh, in Your Honor. Yeah, just kind of plays a guy who's yeah. friends with the kid who's dealing drugs mm-hmm. and he just asked him questions like Big Yo, how you sure prison? about that <laughs> hey all right like uh, he just kind of does that i know your i know your dad did that thing oh yeah like, no you didn't no you don't yeah yeah yeah, yeah i do i then yeah, stupar sure. comes over and he's like what are you guys talking about <laughs> and every, all the actors at the table are like whew thank god jeez <laughs> we were working up a sweat over here <laughs> Asking all sorts of questions, doing all sorts of stuff. Uh, the show is uh, absurd. One of the most absurd things about it, probably the most unrealistic thing about it, uh, there's a scene where uh, they take someone takes a candid photo of somebody else, 
when the the kid and uh, Stuhlbarg's oh, yeah. daughter are at uh, the park, and the Stuhlbarg's daughter is uh, sitting on a seesaw type thing, whatever, and just kind of like hanging out. And the kid takes out his camera, takes a picture, and I was like, "Kids these days don't do candidates. No, nope. the, no, all they're doing is thinking how they get from one picture to the next picture. They're not doing candidates." That authentic moment, that doesn't really happen. Although those are two very weird kids. so That's true. That's true. Um, I'm excited. It has three more episodes. Again, a lot of... Nothing will surprise me because it's just nothing but outrageous things happening. One I mean, after they, they worked in a very... Uh, maybe maybe this will age poorly, but they worked in a very unnecessary... Uh, teacher is sleeping with a kid. I thought about line. that. I was like, and why has every show we watch got this going on? Very unnecessary, especially because they have not addressed it in like the past two yeah. or three episodes. Yeah, that, that's and just the kid gone. has just moved on to a new love interest. Yeah. Very strange. Right. That's... I don't know if they'll tie up all loose ends. I mean, this all this show does is kill people. So yeah. maybe they'll continue to do that. But it's it's good enough to watch... You know the whole time. Like, you'll say, oh, come on, a few times as you're watching it. But I I look forward to seeing its conclusion. I've got the jumping off a treadmill sensation from watching seven episodes in like two days. And yeah. I'm like, I got to wait until Sunday for another one. Oh, boy. But it's worth watching. So keep doing that. Uh, lastly, we want, do you have anything else on your honor? No. Yeah. No further questions, your honor. No further oh, questions. Oh, boy. Uh, last thing. Uh we don't watch movies anymore. We're always watching miniseries. Yep. Thank God there are miniseries because movies keep getting pushed back. And uh, enough of that. Stop moving, put, uh, pushing movies back. Just put the ones out. Spiral, the one with Chris Rock and Sam Jackson that was set I in the Saw know, universe. I did not know that you existed. You didn't know existed? <laughs> yeah. We're supposed to be out like last May. That shows how out on movies that we are, that we are uh, because there was a Saw universe movie with Chris Rock and Samuel L. Jackson and we d- haven't talked about it on the podcast. That's crazy. That's crazy. I uh, want to see that movie. I'm very uh, well. Like now, I think we're starting to see like the the movie. I think the movie theaters for a while were like, "What the fuck do we do?" Oh, we'll just we'll we'll like buy ourselves some time by sending all our shitty movies straight to on demand, and people will be so desperate enough that they'll pay twenty dollars to watch The Hunt. Yeah. And now I think. They're like starting to put in contingency plans. Like we saw Warner Brothers is uh, releasing all of their movies to HBO Max as mm-hmm. well as in theaters. So I think we're going to start seeing more legitimate movies be released like on HBO Max and, and things like that. And, and obviously Netflix, too. Um, but like I my big thing is like when when this is over and when we get back to some normalcy. Are we just going to have fucking like banger blockbuster movies released every single weekend for like two years? Theoretically, you would think so. But like when they push Spiral back, they pushed Spiral back to May of 2021. And in doing that, they gave Spiral John Wick 4's spot and moved John Wick 4 to May of 2022. So it's not like they said, "Okay, look, we'll give you, we'll give Spiral May twenty one, and we'll give John Wick later in May of twenty one yeah. or June of twenty one." They're just like They're just pushing, pushing back the back entire schedule, everything back a year. I would much rather what you're talking about. Just make it a freaking fiesta, yeah, but of this- nonstop. 
But that my but the reason why I was wondering that is because like I don't think that the studios would want to do that because they're sharing they're sharing the screens with other bangers. True, true. Yeah, I just I need these movies out. Put them up. I would pay I would pay twenty dollars for Spiral. No questions asked. Yeah, I mean, well, we we talked about uh, we talked about the idea of paying a hundred dollars for uh, renting out a movie theater yeah. of our for ourselves and just like watching Mamma Mia, man, or or something. That would be such a good time. Do you know like, some gyms are doing that? They're renting out the gym to like work out by yourself or like with a few people. Yeah, I saw. Yeah, someone someone I know posted a thing of themselves at. A gym and i was like what's what's the story there and they were like oh because uh, i i was like you you must have some like vip status there or something and they were like no you can rent out this space for an hour and use it to exercise which i'm like oh, i'm such a piece of shit i should be doing that but i've been thinking about like i should get back i've been getting charged for the gym that i haven't been really to in, like three months yeah i'd have to check i don't i i haven't looked at that but i should do that because I'm not going to the gym. No, me either. I got to do something. I got to do something. Yeah. yeah my, my, my plan was, um, so I had a, uh, not to brag. I had a, a weight loss journey in 2020, in 2020. I lost probably 15 to 20 pounds that I had gained in 2020. There so, you go. uh, no Broke difference, yeah. no difference. Uh, whatever. The number's still black. Right. Not and the I, red. And then I started to, th- I've since, uh, started to put, weight back on for out of boredom and instead of doing the diet starts monday thing my plan was a friend thought of this like diet should start wednesday new presidential term new deej and i was like yeah i will do that um haven't done that though so maybe uh, diet <laughs> well, starts monday Thursday. yeah i i feel like people start a lot of diets like january 2nd Mm-hmm. Where they're like, oh, I'll be so hungover from New Year's, and then January 2nd, I'll go. Fresh start. But I don't know. I'll start at some point. Get off my back. 